If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe, like, and share so we can find others like yourself. Welcome to the Bitcoin Basics podcast with your hosts, Faris and Gordon from coincompass.com, enabling you to safely buy and securely store your Bitcoins. All resources are in the show notes and description, including our disclaimer. Visit bitcoinbasicspodcast.com to subscribe and discover other free content. Hello and welcome to the second episode in our Bitcoin Basics series called Bitcoin Begins. And today we'll be looking at a brief history of money. So everything up until Bitcoin. I'm Gordon, your host, and I'm with Faris. Faris, how about we get straight into it and let's have a look at perhaps before sort of money, we had this sort of this barter system. Do you want to tell us about that? Yeah, so before we had money, essentially, um, people would just trade one item directly for another. And anyone who's done basic economics will be familiar with this. Uh, If we both lived on an island, I was a fisherman, and you collected coconuts, we would just trade coconuts for fish. Um, And then what would happen is eventually someone else would introduce livestock and other Um, commodities would be introduced and it didn't come so useful then trading directly with one another. So that's why we introduced a form of money or a means of exchange. So I would give you seashells, for example, they were used as money at one point. I'd give you three seashells for your coconuts and then you would use two seashells to buy um, grains off of someone else. And so that's why we introduced money, because it just became easier as a means of exchange than basically trading directly a good or service. And why, why was that? Why couldn't you just trade uh, grain for sheep or two items directly? Um, no, you could. So you could still trade directly. But what happened is as populations grew and as more products and services were offered, um if all you could trade was fish and i had enough fish i didn't want anything else but you needed my coconuts um then there's no trade there um i go i don't need what you're offering gordon but you need what i have so i'm just not going to give it to you and that wouldn't benefit you but if you could give me money then i could go ahead and use that money for some something else Okay, so that makes sense. And also, um, if if you are trading uh, something like meat or fish, there's also a, a shelf life of that of a couple of days too. So I wouldn't want to keep exactly. fish's money for more than a couple of days. So many uh, inefficiencies in the barter systems, as I think we know. So then we, I guess we, I say civilization, invented money and that there are different forms of money, but perhaps we'll just have a look at a couple of them. And one was commodity money. Do you want to tell us about commodity money and how that works? Yeah. So essentially when we talk about money, we're really talking about money a hundred years ago and before that, long before that. So people may have heard of the gold standard. Um, Now I'm jumping ahead here now, but it used to be we traded gold coins. And this was the days of the Roman empires. You know, you would see people with these denarii coins. And that's what we traded. Now it's said that that had an... Um, intrinsic value. So let's say the beauty about gold, um, very easy to test. It stands the test of time. There's a lot of really good attributes about gold, and we've covered this a lot in some browser podcasts. Um, but say 
you know, if something happens, I, you know, I travel and I want to take my gold with me, but I can't use that gold somewhere else. Well, I can melt it down. I can then use it as something else. It has an intrinsic value. We also use spice and silks as a means of exchange as a currency. Same thing. If you don't want to trade it, you can use it to cook. You can use silk to create armor, to create a fancy dress, all this kind of stuff. So the gold standard basically was you know, we used gold or something else, a commodity that you could touch, feel, but also had another purpose beyond a means of exchange. This all changed in the 1970s when we went off the gold standard. And this was led by America where we went into a system where we printed as much money as we wanted to. And it went into what we call a fiat system. Fiat basically just means faith and credit in a government. So if you, you, know, um, you look at money today, it's the governments that print it and it's not backed by anything. You, know? if you can't really use that paper or coin for anything else. If you're to melt down a coin or if you're to write on a note or on a piece of paper, well, that's pretty useless because if you're to write on a $10 bill, you could have gone and bought a few books with that. So it doesn't serve any purpose beyond the means of exchange. So that's where currency is today. And that's why we call it currency, because it actually only serves one purpose, a purpose of a currency. It serves no other purpose. Okay, you, you jumped ahead a little bit there and covered 6,000 years of monetary history in a couple of sentences, which is quite impressive. Um, but just to break things down, so we've got commodity monies. So the value is in the item itself, the gold, the silver, or whatnot. And you've got currencies, not money, but currencies, a piece of paper. So there's no value in a piece of paper, but there is value if you can exchange it to something like you suggest an IU or some of that. Would, would that be the main difference between the two? So there is value in money because it can be traded for goods or services, but that's all that can be used. So gold, for example, is a store of value. And there's a saying that an ounce of gold will always be enough to buy a man's good suit. And you look at the price today, it's you know, just under $2,000 per troy ounce. Um, you can get a really good suit for $2,000. In the 1980s, it was you know, $800 an ounce. Get a really good suit at $800 back then. So basically, gold serves a purpose in that it is a currency um, that is a store of value as well. The problem with currencies by governments is that they're deflationary. Basically meaning if you take you know, $10,000 today and you put it in a mattress, it's not gathering interest. Well, five, 10 years from now, 20 years from now, you'd be able to buy less than you could today. So it's actually lost value. And that's called purchasing power. The purchasing power today for currency is in essence, they want you to spend that money very quickly. And because they print more of it, supply and demand, the more you have of something, the less value it is. So this is why gold has and Bitcoin are very good stores of value because they're limited in supply. And that's not the case for currencies printed by governments. So is that the main difference between a currency and money? A currency, you put a $100 bill uh, under your mattress and in 10 years time, it's lost a lot of its value. Is that the main difference or are there other differences? So there's another really important one is who's printing the money. And with that, like the United States government is printing the money. Um, you know, Greece has their own money. We've got or part of the euro. 
So we've got all these different currencies around the world. And you know, we're seeing at the moment issues around the world that are stemming from inflation. Um, so you know, a lot of countries today, you go out in the morning to buy you know, your liter of milk. Now, by the time you get home that afternoon, in some countries, that's gone up 50% in value. So um, countries like Venezuela today, people are heavily investing into Bitcoin because they just know that they're not going to lose the value in Bitcoin that they are in their national currency, um, which is crazy when you think about the volatility in Bitcoin at times. So a currency that's printed by a government is only as good as the credibility of the government itself. And ironically, in Venezuela, are actually going back to the barter system. So neighbors are actually swapping items directly for each other. So they're, they're swapping sugar and salt and food items and whatnot, which is kind of ironic that they're going back to that. If your Bitcoins are on an exchange or mobile wallet, you could lose them in this bull run. Coincompass.com is running a free one-hour webinar where you can learn about cold storage, multi-sig, and best practices for securing your Bitcoin. Become a self-sovereign custodian of your investment by owning, not renting, your Bitcoins. To register and for more details, visit coincompass.com forward slash webinar. You've, you've mentioned a few words here like store of value, and I think we're trying to stay away from some definitions and give some practical examples, but you've mentioned a store of value. If you read any other textbook or YouTube video, you'll actually mention these three words and these three terms or concepts come up time and time again. So perhaps you could give an example of, of these three terms of money. Uh, store of value, unit of account, and medium of exchange. Okay, so store of value is basically something where it will retain its value. And anyone who's invested in real estate, you know, they say the three magic words are location, location, location. That's not true, um, simply because to me, it is um, supply and demand. And I lived in Melbourne for a while, and um, they started to basically build apartments in downtown Melbourne. Now, Melbourne was not like New York City or London or Singapore or Hong Kong, where people lived in the CBD. You went into the CBD to work, and then you left to go home. And they started to say, well, hang on, why don't we just build apartments in the CBD? But they built so many. And they lost value as soon as they went up. Why? Because supply and demand. They built more than the market needed. So with real estate, the key term is they're not making, you know, with land, they're not making any more of it. You hear that. That is more apt than location, location, location. Gold and Bitcoin, they're not making any more of it. With Bitcoin, we know exactly how much we're going to create. With gold, we actually don't really know how much is left in the planet. Um, Government currencies are not a store of value because they just keep making more. And like the real estate analogy, the more you create, the less value the existing supply has. Yeah, so you've mentioned several times the supply or limited or fixed supply of something, but gold isn't, doesn't have a fixed supply. No, but we don't know how much there is. So I know someone posted somewhere, there's a comet traveling around our solar system that has so many tons of gold, platinum, uranium on it. They're saying if we could somehow harness that, um, that planet, then the, um, uh, the cost of gold here and all those precious metals would just drop. But that's a pretty far-fetched notion. I mean, no. Um, 
maybe a Hollywood movie, but not something I see happening anytime soon. So yeah, we simply don't know how much gold there is in the system. Um, and I think this actually, yeah, this is something that, you know, I had a conversation with someone, like this was a kid at school and he you know, finally understood that if he discovered a ship of gold with a million dollars on it, and if he tried to sell it all at once, that would, um, the price of gold would drop or a million tons, sorry, or whatever. And so, the, yeah, simply supply and demand. The more supply is introduced to the market, and if demand does not come up, then the prices come down. So the thing with gold, we just don't know how much of it is still out there. If you know, we discovered all these new mines or a huge uh, mother load is discovered in all these places, and yeah, price will come down. Hey, next year, Elon Musk is going to uh, send up a couple of rockets and start to bring one of these uh, asteroids coming closer to Earth and catch them in nets. And apparently uh, there's billions of tons of gold in there. So, so we've looked at store, uh, sorry, um, store of value. And, th- and that's, that's a word you'll hear quite often. So money, good, good money, or what we call hard money or sound money is a good store of value. The uh, paper currency that you've got in your wallet, whether it's US dollar, British pounds, Australian dollar, whatever, is not a good store of value. There's two more concepts that people um, continually talk about money, especially uh, economists, and that is medium of exchange. What, what's a medium of exchange, and could you give us an example? So medium of exchange is basically like, um, so let's say you are in Southeast Asia and I am in Australia. And as an example. <laughs> Keep going, yeah. All right, <laughs> let me start over. All right, so let's say, for example, Gordon, you are in the United States and I am in France. Now, the medium of exchange in the United States is the US dollar. I'm not using US dollars, I'm using the euro. So if I wanted to purchase something from you directly, um, I can't use my currency and we can't use yours because I don't have an American bank account. I've got a European, a euro one, you've got an American bank account. So medium of exchange is basically something that we can exchange. This day and age, there is no real, there is no currency that is a global medium of exchange. There is no government currency that's a global medium of exchange. Every country's got their own. In the euro, you've got a regional one. So we have national mediums of exchange where basically you exchange money, currency, for a good and a service. So in the US, you have the US dollar. France, you've got the euro. So what is it that you are using to exchange for a good or service? So that's just a currency. Um, Bitcoin was designed to be a um, peer-to-peer, sorry, Bitcoin was designed to be a peer-to-peer unit of exchange where under the scenario, if I wanted to buy something from you, I could send Bitcoins to you. So we're bypassing the limited um, abilities of national currencies and we're using Bitcoin. And you can do the same thing with gold as well. Yeah, we'll, we'll get in that to that in in a moment. Um, I guess the the question that a lot of people ask is, well, if if the U.S. dollar and the uh, the pound and Japanese yen are such bad stores of value, why are we using them? Is it purely because the government says that that IOU is going to be recognised as legal tender anywhere, and it's the most convenient medium of exchange? So with the stuff we described before, one thing we didn't describe, why did we get into currencies? Another reason we got we started seeing government currencies is taxes. 
So taxes is essentially started to raise money for wars. And that's why we started taxes. We're just raising money to fight wars. And how do you raise taxes? You know, you're not going to go around and collect someone's sheep and all this kind of stuff. So it just became easier to basically collect taxes. Um, so governments will discourage you from investing in something that cannot be taxed. So in the 19, I forget what year it was exactly, but after 1929 stock market crash, um, it became illegal for an American to hold gold. They had to turn all the gold in. And this is what we are seeing today is why people are moving to Bitcoin and gold is simply because governments are in the same predicament they were back then where their currencies are depreciating quite rapidly against each other. So the reason we own these currencies is essentially we don't have a choice. We're citizens. We have to pay taxes. We get paid in this currency. You do have a choice. There's ways around them, but at the end of the day, you have to pay your taxes. And you're going to do so in your national nominal currency. Yeah, three things are certain in life, birth, death, and taxes. So that's the reality that we live in. you got to uh, pay that paper money that's in your wallet to the government. Okay. Um, so I guess the, the question to, to summarize, and we've been looking at money and we've, we've touched on Bitcoin, but we'll get into that in the next episode. To, to summarize or to sum up, Faris, what would you say is sort of the inherent problem with what we've got, the current sort of monetary system? And it's especially fiat currency. Yeah. So the main problem that we have at the moment is just too much debt. And so if me and you go into debt, it's very simple. You know, we basically, to avoid bankruptcy, um, you pay off your loans. We can't just go ahead and print more money. We've got to somehow come up with means of making that money. We sell assets. So what happens if your assets are greater than your liabilities? Sorry, if your liabilities are greater than your assets? Well, you get sued. Um, in you know, a lot of countries, there's non-recourse lending, which basically means if I owe the bank $100,000, they're going to get that money. They're going to sue me until I somehow get that money, and I've got to pay it back somehow. Um, the problem we have now is governments are, they, there's no greater authority than a sovereign nation. So they're printing a trillion dollars a month at the moment, at least, just become, as one was a response to the financial crisis, and then that's just ramped up with COVID in 2019 and 2020. So much money's being printed. And the problem with that is that people don't understand when a government prints money, who has to pay that back? The taxpayer, the taxpayer's future generations. And there is no exit strategy. They actually don't know how we're going to get out of this situation where we are creating more money. And it really is, if you have a $2,000 credit card, you max that out, you apply for a $4,000 credit card and you pay off the first one. And then you max out the $4,000 credit card and then you apply for an $8,000 and you keep doing that. This is essentially what governments have done, which is one credit card after another with a higher limit. That is still debt. So what are they going to do? How are they going to pay off that debt? And there are economists right now, very smart people having this conversation, and they're actually saying, we don't know. Yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting to mention that because I talk to a lot of people and I think that, you know, when they apply for a loan or they get credit from a bank, there's, so for example, if I uh, get a new credit card with a maximum limit of $5,000, that $5,000 is sitting somewhere in the bank's vault, like, you know, 
And then, and then if I get a home loan for half a million dollars, that half a million dollars is sitting sort of in the, in the bank's vault somewhere, but it's not that, that we're based on this debt based monetary system. And, and literally money is being printed out of thin air. Some, some bank teller at their terminal is typing a few extra zeros onto your account. And it's like, where, where did that money come from? Hang on. You can print money, but I can't print money. That's, that's kind of unfair. It's actually a lot worse than we think. So one thing that, um, so this is 2020 we're recording this and something that will come out eventually um, is what we call stock buybacks. So at the moment, and this is a you know, maddening thing is um, when COVID happened and if you just want to look at the you know, um, S&P 500 stock market, it crashed um, a good 20% when um, January of uh, 2020. And then it went back even higher you know, towards the end of the year. Now, one of the big things that happened is stock buybacks where company executives and CEOs are borrowing money from um, the government. So the government's creating all this money, sending it to private banks. These companies are borrowing this money at you know, very low interest and then buying shares in their own company back. Now, when they're buying that, it's making the stock price go up. So people like me and you, if we wanted to buy shares in Apple, well, we've got to get a job, we've got to pay our taxes, pay our bills, then what's left over, we can invest in Apple. Gov- governments are actually literally, and the Swiss National Bank is doing this, printing money, buying shares in Apple. That makes the price go up and it, it makes it harder for the average investor to buy into it because them buying it makes the price go up. And this is one of the reasons we've seen inequality really ramp up because this printing money only benefits the top 1% of the world. Yeah, or even less than the top 1%. So I think we all understand, well, perhaps not the intricacies, but we sort of understand the problem that we're facing at the moment. Governments are out of control printing money, and perhaps we should stop saying money. We should start saying currency. So hopefully by now you've, you've got an idea that money is not the same as currency. So... When we think of money, and, and how about we wrap up on this point, Ferris? So I'll ask you one last question. When we think of money, we think of terms like store of value. You know, you've got gold, and 10 years later, your gold, you know, your one bar of gold coin or whatever under the mattress is more valuable, whereas your $100 bill under your mattress is not as valuable in another 10 years. So we talk about store of value. Uh, currencies simply don't have that. And the other point you mentioned is that um, currencies seem to have an unlimited supply. Central banks seem to be printing money left over um, billions of dollars, maybe even trillions of dollars. Whereas with money, and especially a a sound money or hard money like gold uh, or Bitcoin, Mm -hmm. there is that limited supply. And Bitcoin actually has a fixed supply, which um, we'll get into the next uh, episode. So, uh, to sum up, Faris, um, money versus currency, why do we need Bitcoin? Why do we need this, this new form of money, especially when we've already got gold, which seems to have all the good properties of, of what makes a good money? Yeah, so why do we need Bitcoin? Uh, Bitcoin is an insurance policy, um, essentially, because there is no exit strategy for the amount of debt that governments are getting themselves into. And it is deflationary, basically meaning if you hold on to that money, it's worth less in the future. Um, So Bitcoin is an an alternative 
to the fiat system we described, which is just based on hopefully these guys in governments know what they're doing. So Bitcoin is a sound alternative to the financial system that honestly has a lot of cracks in it um, and that really needs to be completely revamped. Um, so that's where Bitcoin and gold are exit strategies to that. Um, it's a wealth preservation, essentially. That's what they are. They're means of wealth preservation. What's the difference between gold and Bitcoin? Uh, Bitcoin is just is a lot faster. Um, so it's a lot faster for me to transfer my Bitcoins to someone else in the world. And it's a lot more secure. Uh, one of the chapters we'll look at is the Bitcoin blockchain. And understanding that will really help you understand why Bitcoin is the safest and most secure store of value man's ever created. I would agree with that. I, I think Bitcoin is better than gold in every single characteristic, perhaps except for one. And the fact that Bitcoin has only been around for 12 years, 12, 13 years, and gold's been around for, you know, 6,000, 8,000 years. Okay. Uh, we could go on and on and on about this, but we are going to conclude our second episode. And in our next episode, episode three, we're going to get into what is Bitcoin. And hopefully by now you've understood the need for Bitcoin, the need for hard, sound money. And all resources, including how to subscribe to our podcast, YouTube channel, or if, even if you wanted to ask us a question, if we didn't explain something properly, you can find it the, at bitcoinbasicspodcast.com. And uh, feel free to subscribe to all our channels there, Faris. Anything else? No, um, hopefully we didn't go into the weeds too much. It's hard not to. <laughs> no, you did a good job. I know you were uh, itching to go into the gold standard and uh, why we needed that. But uh, perhaps for another day or another episode. Yeah. Well, thank you, Gordon. Thank you for listening, everyone. Thanks for watching or listening. Please visit coincompass.com slash free to register to our socials and discover other free content. Subscribing, liking, and following helps this content remain ad-free. Until next time.